Welcome, my name is Bill Munhausen and I'm your host for the Key Gathering Place radio program. What we'll be gathering here is a great many people and their stories. Sometimes it will be a team of local residents to discuss a topic close to home. Other times we will share messages from people in other parts of the country or even around the world. God has equipped all of us to speak life into our community, and this program will be a forum for people to share as God builds his kingdom among us. No subject is too big or too small, because everyone's story is unique. One of the blessings of operating a biblical worldview museum has been the acquaintances I've made among creation science advocates. One such friendship came about last summer when Steve Hudgick visited on his way to, to a meeting with Ken Ham at Answers in Genesis. Steve is a pastor with a background in engineering, so he offers a boldly rational approach to science and faith. What you're about to hear is the very first episode of Steve's Science Pastor series. Welcome to the first Science Pastor program. My name is Steve, and I'm the Science Pastor. What's that? You've never heard of a Science Pastor? I mean, you, you have heard of a teaching pastor and a, a, a youth pastor and a missions pastor, haven't you? And, and there are women's ministry pastors and counseling pastors and lead pastors and associate pastors. So why not a Science Pastor? Ah, ah, I'm hearing objections. Science and religion have nothing to do with each other. Science is all about experiments and dealing with hard facts and understanding how the universe works. Religion, well, on the other hand, it's about things you can't see and having faith. This type of attitude is why science pastors are needed. Isaac Newton has been called the greatest scientific genius the world has ever known. And he spent less time on science than he did on theology. The Bible says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That's Psalm 19. Colossians 1.16 says that everything was created by Jesus, the Son of God. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And Isaac Newton understood this. He said, The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as Lord over it. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God. Since God created all things and controls all things... I mean, how can we not include God in God's Word when we study science? Now, on the other hand, let's, let's look at the other side. On the other hand, the most outspoken part of the scientific community defines science as involving only natural laws and forces. God and religion is excluded from science because they're not naturalistic. A simpler way to say it is that science should presume that all causes are natural causes. Why should this assumption be accepted as valid? Well, that's a topic we'll be talking about as we discuss science and Christianity. But first, we need to build up a foundation so that we truly understand both science and Christianity. For example, I have met 
a lot of people, but to date, I have not met an atheist yet who actually understands Christianity. I mean, I've met several atheists who seem like they've memorized the entire Bible. They can recite the words, but they don't understand. And I've met a lot of people who said they were once Christians and now they're atheists. They, they said they were once Bible-thumping, evangelical, street evangelist Christians. But once we start talking, they really have no understanding of Christianity. I've met men who were pastors leading large churches, and they were not Christians. Then they truly became a Christian and became a true believer. As Jesus said, there are many, many people who believe they are Christians, that believe they are following Jesus, and they're not. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, I hope you recognize that Jesus is saying these people believe they are Christians. They are calling Jesus not just Lord, but they are emphasizing their supposed belief in Jesus by calling him Lord, Lord. Here's Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Wow, these sound like incredible Christians. Look at all the incredible miracles they're doing in Jesus' name. But what does Jesus say to them? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What we are doing here is defining different types of beliefs. So we'll know what we're dealing with. My background, by the way, is in engineering. And we engineers are rational, logical, and we like to define our terms. Defining terms and having them defined correctly is important. Let me tell you a story. In 19, this is a true story. In 1998, NASA launched the Mars Climate Orbiter. This was a robotic space probe that was intended to orbit Mars. However, just as the spacecraft was to go into orbit, communication was lost. They don't know whether the spacecraft crashed or just went off into outer space. But they do know what happened. There was a definition problem. The ground-based computer controlling the orbiter was working in units of pound for seconds. But the spacecraft was operating based on units of newton seconds. They were using two different definitions of force, and the result was the spacecraft was lost. So we need to be sure our definitions are correct, or at least that we're all using the same definitions. So now let's start talking about God. One of the most common objections to God is that, well, it's impossible to do science if God is involved and supernatural miracles are possible. The logic is, how can we study the natural world if God may step in at any time and do things in contradiction to the natural law. By the way, that is the definition of a supernatural miracle. It is something done that violates natural laws. For example, how can we study and understand radioactive decay rates if at any time God can step in and change the rate at which radioisotopes decay? 
Oh, that's a good question. But if you understand God, you have the answer to that question. There are several things you need to understand about God and supernatural miracles. Yes, God is the one who created the natural laws, and he can violate them any time he wishes. Here's an example. Uh, let's say I decide to lock the front door of my house, and that means everyone has to enter my house through the garage. And the front door remains locked and unopened for 25 years. But then let's say I have a family I haven't seen in 25 years, and they're visiting. Can I then pull the key out of my pocket, unlock the front door, and let them walk in and out through the front door? And after they leave, lock the door once again. Yes, of course, it's my house, and I can lock or unlock the door as I desire. I have the ability and the authority. That's, that's important. I have both the ability and the authority to change how my house functions. It's the same with God. He made those things that we call natural laws. In, in fact, he's the one who ensures the natural laws are not changing. If we continue to read in Colossians chapter 1, go to verse 17, we see that Jesus, the Son of God, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is holding all things together. That's why we have natural laws. God is holding all things together. God is constantly acting to enforce, so to speak, to enforce the natural laws, keeping them always constant and consistent. Now, there's another important fact about God. Scientists don't need to be concerned that God will do something supernatural and change things right in the middle of an important experiment or, or important observation. God has only acted supernaturally during a few limited, very important periods of human history. And, and there were major reasons for doing this. The first time God acted supernaturally was at creation, when he created everything that exists by speaking it into existence. That was a unique time in history. The second time God acted supernaturally was during Noah's flood. Again, a very unique time that will not happen again until the end comes. The remaining times when God acted supernaturally were times when he was providing evidence to authenticate his messengers or to authenticate Jesus as being God. So, outside of the time of creation and the flood, there were only four times when there were supernatural miracles. The time of Moses and Joshua and the Exodus, the time of Elijah and Elisha, the time of Daniel and his friends, and the time of Jesus and the apostles. And there is one time period that has not yet happened when God will be acting supernaturally. It's the end times. So that's it. So does God do miracles today? The answer is yes. But they are not supernatural miracles. They are providential miracles. A providential miracle is one that does not violate the natural laws. Okay, so how does a providential miracle work? Well, God uses what are called means to accomplish the miracle. For example, a doctor performing an operation to save the life of an accident victim. The means God uses is the doctor and medical staff and medications and the ambulance driver and staff and the, the medical equipment. 
God is not arbitrary. God does not cause confusion. In fact, God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, that he is not a God of confusion and disorder. He wants us to understand his creation. And so he upholds and maintains stability in his creation so that we can understand it. So the objection that we can't allow God into science is it's not a valid objection. In fact, we must include God. He is the one holding everything together. He is the one enforcing the natural laws. He is the one who created everything in a way such that we can study and understand it. You cannot fully understand God's creation if God is eliminated from creation. So this is our first program. We've started on our foundation. Do you see now the need for a science pastor, though? Now, this time we mostly have talked about God and a little bit about science. Some of our shows will be completely about science. I want to help pastors to have a better understanding of science. And I want to help atheists and other people to have a better understanding of God. And I hope all of you will gain a better understanding of God and science. That's what a science pastor does. Well, it's time to wrap up. If you have a question, please send it to question at sciencepastor.com. If you have an objection to what you've heard today or a comment, send it to question at sciencepastor.com. I love getting questions, comments, objections, and even complaints, and I'll answer them in future episodes of The Science Pastor. That email address again is question at sciencepastor.com. My name is Steve. I'm the Science Pastor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. The Key Gathering Place is more than just a radio program. It's also a community center in Camdenton. We have a 6,000-square-foot building on four-and-a-half-acre property in Camdenton, and we want to use it to bless our community. So we began talking with people. They want to help homeless teens and people living in poverty. Clubs and organizations want a low-cost place for meetings. A church wants to build a tiny house village to address the shortage of affordable rental housing. Ministries want a neutral place for cross-denominational Christian events. Activists want a forum to discuss community issues. We have all these needs and others being unmet until now. There is no grand plan. We are making our facility available to anyone who shares a vision of community. We are simply waiting on the Lord to bring opportunities before us. This radio program is meant to illustrate some of what might happen at the community center. This week's topic focused on the creation evolution issue. Other installments will address politics, the environment, business opportunities, theological questions, music and entertainment. It will be whatever people in the community bring to us, because everyone has a story. So I invite you, if you have an idea that you want to share with others, either through the radio or at the community center, contact me through our website at www.keygatheringplace.com. Okay, let's return to our program. This is Bill Munhausen again. So there you have the first broadcast of the Science Pastor Program. Obviously, there are going to be many additions to the series, and this first episode just lays the groundwork, but I'm excited about the way Steve is drawing the correct distinctions about science and Christianity. The Science Pastor raises a couple of things that I'd like to mention. 
Sometime back around the time of Charles Darwin, leaders of the scientific establishment shot themselves in the foot by introducing a philosophical bias into the study of science. The philosophy is that only natural or material causes will be considered by science. It sort of makes sense. When a scientist conducts an experiment and gets a result, his or her first conclusion should not be that God performed a miracle. The scientist should look for a mechanical explanation. That philosophy works pretty well when it's applied to experimental science. Let's face it, a supreme being isn't likely to miss, mess with your mind regarding natural laws, which, by the way, he invented. If you're trying to prove water boils at 212 degrees, he's unlikely to make it boil at 32 degrees one time just to confuse you. But the application of materialism to theoretical science can get out of hand pretty quickly. Consider cosmology, the study of how the universe came into being. Not many years ago, Big Bang advocates determined there wasn't enough matter and energy to account for the structure of the universe. Without their materialistic philosophy, they might have considered what the Bible says, that God upholds the universe with his invisible power. That hypothesis would encourage them to consider how God does it. Instead, they decided that most of the matter and energy in the universe is invisible. Kind of reminds me of that fable about the emperor's new clothes. They invoked a natural-sounding miracle for their explanation in order to avoid a God miracle. What I'm trying to say is that theoretical scientists are constantly bumping up against the unknown. When that happens, they shouldn't be limited by philosophical constraints to avoid the right explanation. What if there really is a supreme being who created our little universe for us to inhabit? Should scientists be forbidden to consider it? Or should they, as it is prophesied in 2 Peter 3, 5, be willingly ignorant? Because of the philosophy of materialism, modern science has become little more than institutionalized atheism. We can do better than this. Both creationists and intelligent design advocates are leading science back to the pursuit of truth instead of merely the pursuit of politically correct explanations. The last aspect of Science Pastor I want to mention is Steve's interjection regarding miracles and the distinction between supernatural and providential miracles. Unfortunately, some might think that Steve is dismissing modern-day miracles as merely providential and somehow not as miraculous. The true essence of miracles is that God is interjecting himself into our world, and that ought to make us rethink what we mean by supernatural. If God really exists, and that's what we Christians believe, then God is very much natural, if by natural we mean real. And if God is real, then what he does is as real as any natural or material effect that mainstream science is concerned about. I hope I didn't lose you with all that verbiage. What I'm saying is that Christians don't rely on magic. We don't see God as a magician. We have each experienced God's presence in diverse ways, and we have confidence he's real. We also have read the history recorded in Scripture, and archaeologists, scientists in their own right, have verified much of that history. The bottom line is that our faith is rooted in these realities, and we have no choice but to walk in the truth. The Apostle Paul explained it well in a famous quote, I have been crucified in Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is a powerful way of saying that Christ's presence has created in us a new reality, which some people refer to as worldview. 
The supposed conflict between science and religion just isn't so. It is science versus science. It is a conflict over the very nature of reality. Faith in God versus faith in material things. Worldview is the root of all the conflicts we see in America today. And it all began with Darwinism's claim that maybe a creator wasn't necessary and that God could be pushed out of every area of thought and life. So you've heard from the science pastor and I, but do real credentialed scientists reject evolution? The Creation Research Society has over 600 members with postgraduate degrees in science. Most people don't understand the connection between science and our understanding of God. If you believe the universe created itself, then God is an unwelcome intruder with no right to make any commandments. But if he is our maker, he has every right, even an obligation, to give us clear instructions for our well-being. Once I discovered the connection, I wanted to share it with everyone, so I thought a science center would help people understand. Boy, was I wrong. Whether you have faith in God or faith in Darwin, facts and logical arguments don't seem to touch the heart. God inspired the prophet Jeremiah to write in Jeremiah 17, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? What Jeremiah is getting at is the heart is beyond reason, and both deceitful and easily deceived. Rational arguments are no match for the heart's leading. That's why we changed our direction at Orion Center and established the key gathering place. The key, as we call it, provides a place for people to create community. It's the real social platform very different from social media like Facebook and the rest. There's much less drama at the key because you're far less likely to dump on each other in person. More importantly, people who didn't have a place to go are coming here. Consider the Lake Area Resource and Education Center. When schools locked down, families wanted a place to get together to provide the social interactions and learning their kids could no longer get from schools. Then there is LOZ Gaming. They bring together video gamers who might otherwise be isolated at home, but now have a place to share with others in the gaming community. You can find a list of all the groups meeting at the key on our website. We're about people meeting on their own terms and not arguing over such things as politics. It's not always easy because we tend to judge one another. Jesus was quoted in Matthew 7, 3 as saying, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Churches are sometimes perceived as being judgmental, but the truth is that all people have that tendency, so stop picking on churches. The good news, Jesus' gospel, is that we can rise above. I read a quote today. It read, America, staunch, undismayed, your spirit is your might, a world's great brotherhood of man that cannot, must not fall. Brotherhood can be lost, but only if we allow it. That brings me to Key Radio. We're trying to do something very different here. Instead of getting feeds from national sources, our vision is to be a local community resource. Anyone who's traveled during the lockdown season must realize that Lake of the Ozarks, is one of the last remaining homes for liberty. After a false start, we ignored the lockdown mentality, we didn't all die, and we experienced a booming economy and prosperity. I believe it's our responsibility to tell the outside world what happened here. We don't need to argue about how effective masks are, or staying locked up at home, or getting an experimental vaccine. Business as normal with no more 
or less effective in avoiding illness than shutting down the economy. During the previous century, America built great metropolitan areas, but city dwellers should now wake up to how vulnerable they are. Cities pollute, nurture crime, manifest mental instability, and now we know the overcrowding makes inhabitants vulnerable to pandemic. The pandemic taught us that technology makes city dwelling obsolete, as millions of people worked and attended school from home. But a rural community like ours allows us to still go out and shop and mingle, because we are still socially distanced without really trying. We should encourage the rest of the country to rise up and get local in rural communities like ours. But enough philosophizing. How does Key Radio work? We keep costs low so that we can pay operating expenses through the generosity of donors. Our content is provided by local individuals, organizations, and businesses. Instead of one genre, we feature many, including business, politics, religion, family, entertainment, and education. Content providers produce two 26-minute segments every week as a podcast, and Key Radio broadcasts them and streams them on the Internet. It's a great way for people to share their knowledge and promote businesses and organizations. They support Key Radio by helping us raise money to operate. Now that you've heard an actual radio program, give us a call and we will help you get started. All you need is a computer, less than $250 worth of equipment, and the boldness to try something new. That concludes the first segment of our program. We'll be back in a few minutes with a whole new topic after these messages.